It's Monday. It's April 27th. And the word of the day is disinfect, which means to clean or rid of infection. The other word of the day is photon, which is a type of elementary particle that makes up light. Used in a sentence, regardless of what Donald Trump says, do not fill a syringe with Lysol and photons, whatever that would mean, and inject it into your lungs to disinfect yourself. More on that coming up. Spoiler alert. You decide. No, nope. uh, d- please, please don't <laughs> <Absolutely> decide. <not. laughs> I'm, I'm Andrew Torres. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And broadcasting delayed from America's Far Center, we are the Skeptocrats. On this week's episode, Georgia values bowling over voting. <laughs> <laughs> when one billionaire criminal appoints another to administer a slush fund, somehow most of that money gets lost. <laughs> <laughs> and Donald Trump gives a coronavirus briefing sponsored by four hymns. Yay, Not does. realizing it. <laughs> but first, the rest of the intro music. Joining me for headlines tonight. Our fellow skeptic rats, Andrew Torres and Eli Bosnick. Gentlemen, you working hard to keep New Jersey and Maryland in bondage, in direct <laughs> defiance of the President of the United States? <sighs> well, thanks to AdamandEve.com, I can confirm I am doing my part. I am doing my part. <laughs> you know, fun fun note about Maryland, right? Our governor is learning just how interesting it is to be uh, the chair of the Republican Governors Association while simultaneously, A, trying not to kill your citizens on the one hand, and B, trying not to criticize the Republican president on the other. Um, he lasted about uh, four days, I think, until Trump <laughs> broke his brain. So. He's saying Baltimore's like The Wire. That's a good show. I like The <laughs> yeah, Wire, right? Yeah, absolutely. Is this going to be about me not watching The Wire? Damn it. It's a compliment. <laughs> it's a positive. Sh- it's a good show. I don't think it's about the heroin. Watch anyway. The Wire. All right. <laughs> In our lead story tonight... Would you like a mint, sir? It's wafer thin. Uh, we learned that publicly traded companies have raided the supermajority of funds earmarked for the Small Business Payroll Protection Program, and they're coming back to the trough for more. Yeah, I get it. The word small is tricky. It's tricky. <laughs> okay, well, the private jet I flew to go pick up my bailout check was small. It's like a, small, uh, it's yeah. a smaller airport. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the guy in charge of oversight for the Paycheck Protection Program, you know, that's the $350 billion slush fund that we just re-upped with another 12 figures worth of taxpayer dollars, Um That fund was intended to help small businesses pay their employees during the COVID-19 crisis. The guy uh, in charge of oversight, uh, who has bipartisan support as an actual supposed alleged grown-up in the Trump administration, (laughs) is Steve Mnuchin. Which is like, (sighs) it's like... Metaphors are hard in 2020. Heath, what is it? What is it? it? <laughs> well, uh, similes about metaphors are hard, as Eli just demonstrated. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, well, it, 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 what I'm sure came as a huge shock to anyone who didn't know that Steve Mnuchin was the guy who bankrupted Kmart to buy Sears and then bankrupted Sears by selling off all its assets and distributing the proceeds to its shareholders – 90% of whom were some guy named Steve Mnuchin. Yeah. Uh, that Steve Mnuchin has allowed two-thirds, more than two-thirds, actually, of that $350 billion to go to publicly traded companies, some of which have market capitalizations in the 
hundreds of millions of dollars. What the fuck okay. Is happening? Yeah. Okay, but if those companies promise to only shop from the small business, nope, nope, sorry, still fucked. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's a free market trickle down government bailout. Yeah, Why? no, the, the jokes aren't as bad as the reality here, right? Companies like DMC Global Inc. That stands for Dynamic Materials Corporation, and uh, it trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the name Boom. Wish fuck I were making that you. up. Yeah. <laughs> Get the uh, fuck out of here, Boom. Yeah, they got $6.7 million in PPP loans. Fiesta Restaurant Group, they own Taco Cabana, which is some kind of knockoff Chipotle, I think. It has 166 <laughs> locations in the Southwest. Uh, they got $10 million. Uh, Halidor Energy, I couldn't even find what they do. Uh, they got $10 million. Uh, J. Alexander's Holding Company got $15 million. Yeah, um, they're holding by, it. By the way, as we, as we say all this, uh, the average PPP loan, $206,000, right? But hey, the, the more employees you have, I guess the more loan you need. Uh, that, that J. Alexander's, they own a bunch of shitty steakhouses, um, that were the subject of a class action lawsuit in 2019 for asking black customers to give up their tables so that white people could be seated. Did you say 2019? Yeah, 2019. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. Andrew, I'm going to need you to hard pivot this entire episode of The Skeptograd to walk me through every detail of that lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, is a limited format right here. Okay? This, still. Jesus still. Christ. Rosa Parks is like, Wow. 1955 was a simpler time. <laughs> and so, look, like, the problem isn't just that these are big companies. I mean, look, that that's a problem, right? But it's exacerbated by the fact that these are publicly traded companies. So you are literally taking taxpayer dollars to inflate the stock price to benefit investors. I, it, it's Wow. It, it's the one thing you shouldn't be able to do. Okay. Okay. I got this one. I got this one. It's like... Sucking the breath out of a child, promising you'll use it to blow up his birthday balloon, but actually blowing up your blimp, advertising your birthday balloon inflation <laughs> service. <laughs> huh? That was a simile. Got it. I have to say, when you began with sucking and child in that, that turned out much better than I expected. See? Um, but See? much Upside. better, much better than the PPP loans to these companies, uh, which is not helping even inflate their stock price. So DMC Global, for example, was trading at 43 before COVID-19 hit, dropped to 29. Uh, then they got millions in taxpayer dollars. And now it's below 25. Great. Taco Cabana, they went from 11 to 6. And uh, Octoroon Steakhouse went from <laughs> 10 and a half to 4 and a Jesus quarter. Christ. Well, so. of course, they gave up three-fifths of their business, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, of course, because Steve Mnuchin allowed these companies to loot $250 billion earmarked for small businesses to, you know, keep the lights on, Congress had to pass another round of funding with another $320 billion in taxpayer funds. And uh, I guess maybe some of that will trickle down this time. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Wasn't the first version of this bailout bill with no oversight? This is with <laughs> an oversight that they added that's not doing anything, right? Yeah, the no. oversight means that uh, that that Jared Kushner can only own 49% of a company that gets millions of dollars oh, in PPP good. loans. Yeah. Glad we that. oversaw that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> watching it. Watching it with our eyes. And in Land of the Febreze news tonight, Andrew, let me get this straight. <laughs> 
Donald not Trump get this <laughs> can get on national television and very, very explicitly instruct his supporters to drink bleach. But when I do it, you get all squeaky and we run out of Tums. What gives, Andrew Torres? What gives? Okay, Eli, I... I have been lobbying Congress to pass a constitutional amendment that extends the presidential immunity to podcasters. And as soon as that passes, buddy, I promise we can go back. We'll unbleep all those great moments from the show. It'll be fantastic. Pinky promise accepted. Yeah. So uh, just in case you missed this absolute gem, uh, here's the story. During one of the president's what can only be described as coronataculars this week. (laughs) William Bryan, acting director of the Homeland Security Department Science and Technology Directorate. That that doesn't sound Orwellian at all. (laughs) Yeah, no, not at all. Sounds great. And they're doing awesome, by the way. So he gave a short summary on his department's findings on the effect sunlight has on the lifespan of the virus on surfaces and in air. And the findings are boring. According to CNN, quote, Brian presented data showing that some circumstances sunlight can reduce the half-life of the virus on a surface or in the air from 18 hours to less than two minutes. Which means... No, no, Whatever you're about to say, no. (laughs) Coronavirus is a vampire. No, No, that's not at all what that means. Well, the president's theory was significantly dumber than mine. And more dangerous. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) After Brian's presentation, the president asked, quote, Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. (laughs) Supposing you brought the light inside the body which you can do either through the skin or in some other way does uh does anyone have a good photon sav guy i'm i'm the president of the united states during a national news conference uh but it actually gets worse or or better depending on how hard andrew is glaring at you he continued again these are all real quotes i see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute one minute is there a way we can do something like that by injection inside or almost a Jesus cleaning Christ. because you see it gets in the lungs and it does it does a tremendous number on the lungs end quote and i'm pretty sure the lungs are right here in the neck where you breathe i think that's where the lungs are so so that's where you want to stab the syringe right into your lungs through the skin like i said <laughs> yeah eli heath i'm i'm disappointed in you and and quite frankly the rest of the the lamestream media on this right <laughs> he was obviously just asking a question he said is there a way that we can do this insane thing. It's not his fault that the answer is, well, sure, but only a dangerous lunatic would suggest it. That's true. That's true. So uh, as a result, uh, we laughed super hard. Lysol has put a Uh warning on their website telling people not to inject themselves with their products. And this is my fucking favorite. (laughs) Tide put out another reminder not to eat Tide Pops. (laughs) Not because they'd been mentioned, but just like they'd been burned before, so they were like, also don't wow. eat Tide Pods. You know what? We're going to get out ahead of this. <laughs> don't do this either. Again, more, because he's going to say that next. Yeah. And once the entire world of sane people pointed out that you shouldn't inject yourself with Lysol or try to swallow a pill containing ultraviolet light, Trump claimed he was being sarcastic. He was making a joke 
during a coronavirus briefing on national television about the coronavirus. Just a classic jape about that, that, you know, great context. Oh, Citation Needed came out a hundred years too early. Every, <laughs> every week is an episode. Either way, I, for one, am really, really hoping this catches nope. on and sort nope. of nope. sorts nope. it no, out. No, you are not. No one, no one is. No one's hoping that out. <laughs> because there is no possible outcome where someone who injects themselves with Lysol because Trump told them to dies is a bad thing. That's I, not possible. I, that that there, are, there are only negative possible <laughs> outcomes to this, Eli. Can, can we get the intelligent guy back people in here to do this? Yes. can disagree. You heard our official stance from one of the two of the people who were just talking. <laughs> and speaking of official stances, it's time to toss to this week's first and only sponsor... <laughs> The Great Courses. They're going to love this placement. They'll love that intro. <laughs> Hi, I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And I'm Andrew Torres. So, how's that novel going? Do you really dive into your painting with all this extra time lately? Are you working out? Are you meditating? Cleaning? We didn't think so, but there is something you can do with all this extra time. Learn cool stuff with The Great Courses Plus. Wait, what's The Great Courses Plus? Oh, you're... you're that, we're going to have energy? That's fine, I guess. No, 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 that's, no, that's, yeah. Yeah. no, that's cool. So The Great Courses Plus provides the space to continue exploring the world while staying indoors keeping our brains active and engaged. There's so much you can learn from The Great Courses Plus. There's a course for every curiosity, from hobbies like playing guitar, practicing yoga, or performing magic tricks, to classics like history, science, and literature. So you can get out of isolation with something besides toilet paper jokes. Looking for a suggestion? We recommend Medical Myths, Lies, and Half-Truths. Because the least you can do is not be the person forwarding that text about martial law. <laughs> or sharing that post about immune-boosting lemon drinks. You can watch or listen anytime through the Great Courses Plus app, or even stream the videos to your TV to watch as a family. Keep the kids learning while they're out of school. And now is the perfect time to start. The Great Courses Plus is giving our listeners this great offer. A free trial, plus it's only $10 a month when you sign up for a quarterly plan. Sign up today using our special URL to get started. Find all the details at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash skeptocrat. Remember, that's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash skeptocrat. The Great Courses Plus, because they don't carve how much Instagram you scrolled on your tombstone. Well, I mean, they could. Yeah. They could, that's yeah. true. And we're back. Next up in headlines, Donald Trump gave a briefing about the coronavirus last week. We started talking about it just now. And in typical fashion, his remarks ranged from dangerous lying to <laughs> confusing himself with a Q-tip. Yes. To self-congratulatory accidental erection references. That happened. And then... He walked out onto Fifth Avenue and shot satire in the face with a gun. Everything and nothing is real. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, this is the character dreaming a different show cop out of presidencies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so now that satire is officially dead, we're just going to name some things that came out of his stupid fucking face during the briefing. That's all we can do now. Just name things that actually happened. And 
a natural starting place feels like Trump's commentary on the, uh, I'm pretty sure he was going for the ontological underpinnings of coronavirus testing. He said, quote, some people believe in it like they can't exist without testing and other people don't believe in it nearly as much. Yeah, you know, the ravenous bug bladder beast of Troll is a beast so mind-bogglingly stupid it thinks if you can't see it, it can't see you. Uh, and don't mind me, uh, since Heath has declared satire dead, I'm just over here rereading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is now a travelogue. <laughs> <laughs> so from there, he tried to do some calculus, I think. He did. It did not go well. I'm pretty sure he was talking about the graph of the confirmed cases of the virus, but it's really hard to tell. And for those who aren't familiar with Trump calculus, just keep in mind that lines can either be flat or up. Those are the, the types of lines. He said, quote, well, they're the lines that you're that we're famous for now. Some are flat and some are up. We have both types of lines now, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Country and Western. I mean, to be fair, it's the first time Trump has seen a line go up in his career. I mean, I think we're just lucky he didn't flip the chart upside down. Yeah. So that's nice to hear. They're curves, by the way. They're not lines. It's fine. Yeah. But we're famous for our line curves. Their, their flatness and upness is being celebrated, in fact. They're that famous. And speaking of which, Trump also added, quote, that's a mosquito. I don't like mosquitoes. I don't like mosquitoes at all. <laughs> Just to be clear, that was not a metaphor. He literally got distracted by a literal mosquito. Yes, he did. Swatted at the mosquito and narrated what he was doing into a yes. microphone. But, but Heath, did he communicate with the mosquito using a non-secure email server? <laughs> oh, oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yes. Turns, turns out he did. Yeah. Yeppers. Yeah. And... If you get distracted by a mosquito as president of the United States during the press conference, a Q-tip is pandemonium. At one point, <laughs> Trump was trying to explain the test for COVID-19 and thought we might need some help with the swab concept. So he pulled out some visual aids for everyone, really for himself. And he said, is it, does it remind you of something? Remind you of this, right? One's a swab, one's a Q-tip. It's actually different. It's very sophisticated, actually. Is it? Exact words. <laughs> is it? No. <laughs> no. No. It's a swab or Q-tip. Neither particularly sophisticated. And that brings us to my favorite part. Trump somehow managed to be confused by the idea of explaining his own thoughts with his own words. Also known as talking. A lot of people would call that just talking. <laughs> that would have been way too tricky. So he had to read from an article that described what he himself did. Sure. He, he took out a physical copy of the Wall Street Journal and read a long piece of an op-ed that complimented him. And that included the following sentence about the American way. That's the context here. Written about Trump that Trump read out loud. Quote, it was hard to get it aroused, and it is hard to get it aroused, but we got it aroused. Okay, to be fair, Melania said the same thing to a sweaty team of up-all-night NASA scientists, so I get it. I get it. <laughs> <sighs> and in 
and a little child shall lead them news, the Trump administration <laughs> is hiring fundamentalist Christian teenagers to run major sections of the executive branch because why not? I mean, at this point, he could appoint a monkey with a machine gun and I'd be like, sure, <laughs> sure, <laughs> monkey with a machine gun. I, I am. I'm not making this up. Donald Trump has hired Haley Jordan. Uh, oh, no, sorry. Sorry. Um, that's that's Jordan Haley. Uh, Hal is, Jordan. Uh, yeah, she is. Yeah, this is not the Green Lantern. She is a 21 year old senior at. Wait for it. Don't say Liberty, Liberty University. University. God damn it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but she's majoring in history <laughs> and international relations. Um, and uh, she's the new external relations director for the presidential personnel office, which is responsible for hiring and placing political appointees. Okay. Okay. But good news. There's a bunch more coronavirus in the White House now. Ooh, yeah. nice. I had not I had not thought about that. That's a, but yeah, so uh Haley's job description, and mind you, this is someone whose resume contains her AP scores from 2016 on US <laughs> history. Um yeah, she, oh she got a five, so you know, good Great. good good on her. Uh, she is now charged with, among other things, administering a form to executive branch employees who are seeking a raise or seeking to be transferred to a- another department that asks questions like, what have you done to advance the president's agenda? Uh, I mean, to be fair, she nailed that question when her answer was went to Liberty University. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Haley's... I. <laughs> I I guess the the news report contractually obligates me to call it a history degree. <laughs> her history degree requires her to take the following classes: Introduction to Biblical Worldview, nice Evangelism and the Christian Life, Get the history, fuck out of here. Uh, and eight credit hours in theology. Sure, uh, but sure. but no actual history. Okay, well, as someone with a BFA, I get it, Haley. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Liberties. History 101 course is described again. I will link the the in the show notes Liberty University's course catalog. It, it's a fun read. The History 101 course is described as quote an overview of American history, emphasizing America's Christian heritage, limited and constitutional government, free markets, <laughs> oh and individual freedom and responsibility. End quote. Cool. American History 101, The Birth of a Nation. Yeah, I understand <laughs> that. Yeah, it has. And again, I swear I am not making this up. An interesting asterisk that says HIST 101 is not, and yes, the word not is in all caps in the course guidebook, yeah, <laughs> not approved as a general education elective in the core competency requirements, nor as an elective within the major. Yes. So literally, the first class available to Liberty University students who want to major in history is a class so bad, it has a disclaimer claiming that it does not meet the standards for Liberty University. (laughs) And they called it 101 because they don't know how the fucking numbers. Wow. God. Yeah. And and in case you're wondering, um, other than uh, a handful of senior research methods classes and internships or things that aren't classes that are just given numbers. There are a grand total of three classes in the history department that are offered by Liberty University to students like Haley. There's 
101. That's the class that needs you to sign a liability waiver before you take it. (laughs) There's 300, which is historical methodology. And then there's 305, which is introduction to public history. (laughs) If you're asking, and and I know you are, is there a 306, 306, right? Or any other non-introductory history courses? Uh, Go fuck yourself. I'll go fuck myself. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But they did it because they just think classes have numbers after them. Not because they were using the system. They were just like, classes have numbers. (laughs) History of Googleplex. This is fun. Uh, Brightside, at least she's not a senior in the uh, James C. Dobson Center for Child Development, Marriage, and Family Studies. Okay. Okay. New rule, if a department at your university has basically the same name as 15 different SPLC-listed hate groups, you don't get to say university anymore. You yeah. don't get to use that word. <laughs> two, Absolutely two votes. not. <laughs> uh, but, but look, uh, bright side, I mean, maybe you're thinking Haley is just super mature for her age, right? I am not, not thinking, thinking that. that. No. I have, I'm <laughs> trying to look on the bright side here. Um Let me remind you that Liberty University, that uh, post-secondary institution of higher learning, committed to the nurturing, responsible development of the young adults entrusted to its care. Um, They don't just expel you if you look at porn. Uh, They they do that. Uh, They also prohibit their students from wearing jeans, open-toed shoes, T-shirts, and hats. Yeah, but I mean, how often can the hats come up at the White House? She'll be fine. Do you mean red ones? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And uh, just to conclude this story, this is the fourth college senior that the Trump administration has placed into a senior executive branch position at the presidential personnel office alone. Nice. Unbelievable. Yeah. Going to get a beer pong table and everything. It's going to be great. Get expelled. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> And in Georgia on my mind news, coronavirus is over. People are flooding back into the streets. Jobs and beaches are opening back up again, (laughs) at least in Georgia, because they're hoping coronavirus, like their politics, is 50 years behind the rest of the country. Well, yeah, I mean, somehow coronavirus seems to have more voting power than, you know, people of color in Georgia. So I I guess that tracks. Great. They they do test for one of those things in Georgia. (laughs) Yes, they do. (laughs) All right. So here's the story. Again, if you missed it, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, who, uh, by the way, announced a few weeks ago that medicine just found out that asymptomatic carriers exist. Yeah, true. Opened up vital businesses like nail salons, bowling alleys, gyms, and churches last Friday. Like, when you're listening to this three days ago, that Friday is when he opened up the fucking nail salons in Georgia. And, sorry, bowling alleys? Bowling alleys are basically a virus-spreading theme park. You're using shared everything. (laughs) Shoes, you're touching... What? But God damn it, it gets worse. Lest his state have a single sane politician in it. His order also bars cities from imposing their own restrictions on businesses, which means not only every asshole that wants to reopen their massage parlor 
in Georgia can and will be able to unless the courts get an injunction, which they did not. Andrew, any chance of that happening? The injunction? (laughs) I I think the courts have just given up in Georgia. Um, Unless you're trying to uphold an obviously racially gerrymandered congressional district. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Then then they're They're reporting for duty. Very active. So close. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. And look. Like drinking bleach, you're probably thinking to yourself, Eli, what's the downside? And nope, I get it. Nope, not thinking Except <laughs> Noah and Lucinda live in Georgia. And it's possible, I don't know this for a fact, but it's possible that there are other nice people who don't deserve to die in that state. It's not likely, but it's possible. So again, this is how they say a bad thing. Yes. <sighs> and finally tonight, in running Kruger news... We have a follow-up to our ongoing story of how voting works. Just in case anyone missed it, a while back, I put a post on Facebook asking if anyone with an advanced degree in political science was not planning on voting for the Democratic nominee in the general election, and for those people to send me an email explaining their reasoning. That was on March 10th, so it's been about seven weeks. Uh, Let me just count them up. I have... Zero responses from that group. Zero is the number. (laughs) But I'm still seeing plenty of that argument from lots of people who are not experts on political science. So we're going to talk about it. And I know we've been doing that a lot. Maybe you're getting tired of hearing it. But we're doing it a lot because it's super, super important. The outcome of the election in November is one of the most important political events that will happen in our lifetime. We're in the middle of a global crisis that can only be solved by science And we have a science-denying bigot in power. And on top of the climate change problem, we have a global pandemic of coronavirus. This election is kind of a big deal. Not even going to pretend this is related to a news story, are you, Heath? Uh, I I mean, look. (laughs) Yeah, he could have pointed out that teenage fundamentalists who think the Earth is 6,000 years old and... Again, who aren't allowed to wear hats <laughs> are running major sections of the executive branch. That's, yeah, that's, that's a related there you story. Go. That's it's a follow fair. up on that story and how, you know, you might be able to behave in a way that fixes some of that. We'll see. So it seems like a decent amount of people listening right now aren't clear on how they're going to be voting in the general election. And that's a big problem. So we're not going to let this go. Here's the reality. If every person who aligns more with for example, Hillary Clinton, than they do with Donald Trump. If those people had voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016, we'd have a Supreme Court that does not think gerrymandering is a perfectly constitutional thing that each state gets to do if they want. And that consequence could last for decades. Protest voting just from 2016 set the country back decades. There's no talking around that. And that's just one of so many disastrous consequences of Donald Trump already. We Mm -hmm. might get more years of him. Yeah. So here's what we're asking. We need you to do the ultimate skeptical thing. We need you to hear a logical argument that challenges your current position and for you to modify your thinking. And I understand how difficult that can be when you hear an argument against your position, especially in politics, because experts don't count in politics for some reason. When you hear that, though, your instinct is to immediately form counter arguments. That's normal. That's what everyone, myself included, will naturally do. But try to rise above that just as a mental exercise right now and hear us out for the length of this little segment. And rather than forming counter arguments in your head as you hear it, just listen and try to understand the opposing view. You can always do counter arguments later. 
so many people who are just forming counter arguments to that proposal rather than listening right now. It's pretty yeah. crazy. I, I, help me out here no for, for a minute, right? Uh, is sharing that meme, you know, the one with the guy looking over his girlfriend's shoulder when someone in Moscow has written DNC over the other girl. God. That's what we're calling forming a counter argument, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, in 2020? Well, don't do that. That's not That's what I thesis. meant, but don't do that either. Yeah. <laughs> so... We're going to start with a, a simple pros and cons thing. If you're considering a protest vote or a non-vote, you see an upside to that strategy. But if you're being intellectually honest, you must also realize there's a downside. But you're thinking the pros outweigh the cons. Problem is your scale is broken or you forgot to put some enormous cons on the negative side. For example, you're thinking that a loss for Joe Biden will send a message to Democratic voters in a future primary that we need a more progressive candidate. Now, that's a good goal. I want that too. I want a more progressive candidate than Joe Biden, but I'm going to outweigh that pro by nearly infinity with Ruth Bader Ginsburg possibly getting replaced by a conservative theocratic bigot. That and, could happen. And, 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 and look, uh, it, it not just could happen. We know who it will be. It will be 37-year-old Justin Walker, you know, the guy I made cry God. during our debate. Yeah, um, he's he's about to be elevated to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, which you may recognize as Merrick Garland's court. I'm right? not familiar the, with the, that name, the, the bench for the Supremes. He was rated a unanimous not qualified by the American Bar Associations. Um, cool. He has watched fewer depositions than Thomas Smith. Um, and uh, okay. yeah. He's he's about to be a Supreme Court justice. To be fair, Jesus it was Christ. lovely of Thomas to come support me like that in my deposition. <laughs> <It was> really... <laughs> yeah, I thought the foam finger was a bit much. Anyway, really? <laughs> again, these problems that I'm talking about, they last for decades, especially the court ones. And the effect is enormous. It's not even close. The speculative value of maybe affecting a future Democratic primary pales in comparison to that definite thing I just described. And we'll talk about just how speculative that is in a second. But one other point on the Supreme Court, it could easily be more than one justice getting replaced next term. The entire court is over 50 years old, and the entire liberal wing of the court is going to be over 60 for the next president. Two of those liberals are in their 80s. Any of these people could die or need to retire at any moment. So any protest voter needs to consider that as a giant negative factor to weigh against whatever you believe is the positive in that speculative universe you got going. Again, it's not even close. And if this hasn't hit home, even if there is a giant blue wave in 2020, and, and I actually do believe there will be a giant blue wave in 2020, a tremendous amount of that progress that could happen from that blue wave will definitionally yeah be held up by the Supreme Court. Like, yeah, there will be multiple progressive policies that non-voters slash third-party voters didn't vote or voted third-party because of that will not happen or will be slowed by the court created by their non-vote or third-party vote. Yes, absolutely. A lot of people are talking about voting, okay, I'm going to vote for down-ballot progressives, but I'm going to skip the presidential part of that. But... That person has to sign the things that those down-ballot progressives might do. They you do. gotta pay attention to this. And here's the other huge factor you're ignoring or weighing incorrectly, in my opinion. The pro that you're assuming, a, a Biden loss providing a lesson, 
that doesn't even work. Does not and this help. should heavily impact your thinking. Look at what happened in 2016. We saw plenty of protest votes and non-votes by progressives. And in theory, those people were hoping Democrats would learn a lesson and a candidate like Bernie Sanders would do better in the next primary. But he did not. He actually did noticeably worse despite having much more national recognition this time around. The lesson never happened. The opposite happened. I would have loved to see this lesson happen. It didn't happen. Not only did the opposite happen, the entire dialogue has shifted, right? Bernie and his supporters managed to garner tremendous support and move the conversation left in 2016 until the non-voting slash third-party voting happened, at which point the conversation, by necessity, switched to people voting correctly, including on this fucking podcast. Like, <laughs> well, we're we talk literally, about yeah. right, we literally cannot cover other issues or get into the minutia of differences of policy on the left because of the fear that we might not spend enough time convincing people to vote at all. Yeah. And by the way, Bernie moved the national conversation either way. That's good. But we still obviously need not Trump to be the president when we talk about anything moving forward with progressive policies. That's just so obvious. So now that we're on the subject of that teaching a lesson theory, I want to talk about two arguments I've heard side by side from the same person many times. Argument one, progressive non-voters and third party voters from 2016 are not to blame for Hillary losing. It was the fault of the Democrats and the DNC for not electing a more progressive candidate in the primary. That argument is pretty much guaranteed to come out almost every time. I, I, I hear it all the time, it, it, and it is baffling to me. So l- listen up. This is not about assigning blame. You know who's to blame for Trump being president? Trump voters, right? Racist morons. But you know who doesn't listen to our shows? Racist morons, right? <laughs> so look, are, are, are we cool with that now? We're not saying this is all your fault. We're not trying to blame you. We're trying to shame you into not doing a thing that helps out racist morons. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm blaming. Like, Andrew's being nice. <laughs> Two thirds of us not, are not. Like, obviously, Trump voters are evil, but you help that. You, you, you share some of the blame, and I'll explain. Here's the second argument that I was talking about that I hear side by side to that first one. <laughs> it goes something like this. Non-voting or third-party voting and making Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden lose the general election is the only way to teach the Democrats to cater to progressive values in the future. Again, just about every single progressive who's talking about not voting blue has invoked both of these arguments. But think about them together for a second. They directly contradict. Either protest votes can take away a victory or they cannot take away a victory. If they can, then progressives who didn't vote for Hillary Clinton can share some of the blame for Trump's victory. If that's you, Trump was your intended goal at that moment, and it worked. So of course you share some of the blame for the downsides that go along with what you saw as the upsides. On the other hand, if protest voters cannot take away a victory from a Democrat, then withholding votes doesn't change the outcome, and there won't be any teaching of lessons. And just in case anyone missed it, the answer is yes, withholding votes can and did change the outcome in 2016. If the Jill Stein votes in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan went to Hillary instead, they were enough to win the Electoral College. So those voters 
can be told that they share the blame. Yes, no. absolutely. Technically, you're blaming math there. Heath, so. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Right. No, I should blame the, the a priori existence of numbers and how that yep. goes. Yep. Yep. Numbers. Uh, and again, more importantly, those numbers could be outweighed by people who just showed up. Right. When I've made that argument, many people have made the argument that like, oh, you know, a certain percentage of Green Party voters aren't disaffected Democrats, but like true believing third party wackos. And and like that might be true. But again, all it would take is an incredibly small percentage of the people who didn't bother voting in those states to outweigh those that even if we concede it are too willfully ignorant to vote correctly. Sure, let's get way more turnout and absolutely correct. That could be an outweighing number, but let's also not get people voting wrong. If right. you align more with one of the two candidates, you should vote for that candidate. That's what Both. voting in a general election means. Yeah. Anyway, circling back, that pair of arguments that I was talking about gets even worse when you realize that, again, there was no teaching of a lesson. In the 2020 primary, Bernie got less support against Biden than he got against Hillary. So it turns out both of those arguments are bad. But it's literally impossible for both arguments to be good. They contradict and both get invoked just about every time I've had this argument. Yeah. And I, I want to point out another thing. And, and it may seem off topic, but it's not. The thing that the far right and the far left share is the idea that bad things happen and there's nothing you can really do about it. Right. It's why a lot of people on the far left claim to be Marxists, right? Pure Marxist, pure socialist, pure communist. Now, whether or not you believe those ideologies to be failed in themselves, and I actually think there's an argument to be made that they are, if the only acceptable outcome for you is for the non-existent working class to seize the non-existent means of production, because the closest you've come to studying poli sci is a 33-page booklet made for turn of the century <laughs> okay. beet farmers, I want <laughs> things but i've read more than the little book right. anyway go ahead go but ahead. when when that's all you've read you have no problem refusing the lesser of two evils because everything that isn't your exact hypothetical revolution is unsatisfactory and that's an idea that needs to be dropped <sighs> yeah and by the way just to be clear about my personal opinion and i think uh you guys would agree with me I and I think you guys are not at all happy with Biden as the nominee. You would have had a whole bunch of other better choices, no? Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right. So nothing I'm saying right now is meant to defend Biden. All I'm saying is that he's obviously better than Trump. It's not even close. It's not even remotely close. Read the platform, by the way. So many people get in this argument. And I'm like, oh, did you read the whole platform? Clearly they hadn't. A few of them got back to me and were like, oh, yeah, the platform is better than I thought. Read the platform. But if you read that platform and then still can't tell the difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump or just can't tell the difference between Democrats and Republicans right now, you're extremely stupid or you're a liar. Yeah. There's and, differences. And to add on to that, Joe Biden is fine. Look, I don't agree with him on everything, but I agree with him on more than I disagree with him. <laughs> In fact... In order to find things he and I really disagree on, we have to talk about things he used to believe. And if there's anything you'd think the audience of this show would understand, it would be being a former haver of bad ideas, wouldn't you? <laughs> right? But more importantly, and again, I, I speak to the left here, he is representative of what the literal numerical majority of this country's left stands for. I don't like that. I don't want that to be the case, but that is the case. 
And if we want that to change, we have to vote. Not talk shit on Twitter, not write us snarky emails, vote and win. Yeah, That's and, how you make that change. And, and, and let me underscore the, the, those points, Eli. Joe Biden has a lifetime ranking from the American Conservative Union of 12.67. Okay, that means he votes for conservative positions 12 and two thirds percent of the time. Right. And. Picking a senator at random, how about um, uh, this this B. Sanders from Vermont? His lifetime rating is 6.78, okay? And again, I, I want to use a, a precise legal term here. Stop saying stupid shit like Joe Biden is conservative or worse, Joe Biden is a closet Republican. No, Joe Manchin is a conservative Democrat. He's 27. Republicans, Susan Collins is a 45, Lisa Murkowski is a 58, Ted Cruz, not making this up, is a 98 and a quarter, right? Good for Joe him. Biden's a 12, okay? <laughs> Look, I, I, and again, I, I backed Elizabeth Warren. I wanted somebody way, way, way to the left of 12, but let's not pretend that 12 is 50 or 98. Also, fun <laughs> fact, unrelated, also a 12 on my hot or not meter. So, you know. <laughs> Wait, what's the scale of that? One to ten. And by the way, funny feeling Donald Trump would have a higher number than 12 and two thirds if he had a a legislative history to to rate on. Funny feeling. And those are our two choices, whether we like it or not. Yeah. All that being said, none of this means we can't talk about problems in the Democratic Party or flaws in Joe Biden. They certainly exist. No question. But that stuff is irrelevant to the choice in November unless every problem with Biden and the Democratic Party is viewed in direct contrast to Trump and the Republican Party every time when we're talking about November. As long as we have a two-party system, and I don't like it either, but as long as that's the reality, discussions about voting in the general have to maintain the context of the two options. Just pointing out, here's a problem with Biden or a problem with the Democratic Party is meaningless without a comparison against the alternative. And the alternative doesn't just last for four years. Again, many of Trump's actions are going to last for decades, and they hurt the exact people who a true progressive claims to be fighting for. And if you feel like you're being held hostage by this process somehow, it's a phrase I've heard a bunch of times, you're feeling that because you are, but you're not being held hostage by the DNC. You're being held hostage by doing the right thing and choosing less harm. That hostage feeling is called ethics. And yes, you are bound by it all the time. The events that led you to be stuck in a trolley dilemma don't change the right answer about flipping the fucking switch. Yeah. I think it's abhorrent that anyone would tie someone to the railroad tracks in the first place and meow. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. (sighs) Bottom line, if you're a progressive who's not planning to vote for Joe Biden, or even worse, You're also spreading that misguided opinion. You're literally helping the cause of Russian intelligence. Yeah. You might have a noble rationale in your head, but regardless of your intention, you are, as a point of fact, helping the cause of Russian spies. And you're not even getting paid. You're an unwitting Russian spy intern. Stop it. (laughs) Be better. And and to that point, I, I want to talk about this. I think a lot of people who express these ideas, especially on social media, it's less about believing them and it's more about 
intellectually and publicly playing with them. And so a great example, I was back on Twitter for about 45 seconds a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> and someone tweeted at me, what's a reason besides guilt to vote for Joe Biden? And so I listed some that I listed on the show and then some then, and it was, it was a perfectly polite conversation. But what happened was it turned into one of those person who wasn't the original question asker replying to the reply to the reply thing. Yeah, and Twitter's that, great for discourse. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that person sort of maintained the two ideas that Heath addressed above. And when Heath, who also was in that conversation, presented the arguments he presented here, they answered, yeah, I don't know. I guess I was just kind of feeling kind of cranky the other day. I'm going to vote blue. And look, I get it. I have been cranky on Twitter. Lord knows. <laughs> it's why I'm not there anymore. But what that person, and I think a lot of the people who get on social media to express these ideas don't realize, is that everyone who saw that conversation did not see the ending. Right. right? Maybe yep. that conversation had anonymously on a public forum convinced someone to vote third party or not vote. So even if you feel like you're just expressing frustration or blowing off steam you gotta be mindful of who might be listening yeah and stay in context right yeah while we're talking about twitter i i shared out a story this past weekend on the opening arguments twitter feed about four democratic congressmen who literally signed a gop letter to ask steve mnuchin to open up PPP loans to payday lenders, right? What? So Jesus. yeah, if you care at all about working people, you want payday lenders ground up into a powder and shot into the sun, right? <laughs> that, that, and, and look, unlike stupid hashtags, this is something you can actually do something about, right? These are sitting congressmen. They have to run for re-election like every couple of weeks. They're Democrats. <laughs> you can call their offices and they will talk to you, right? These are precisely the sort of people you should be lobbying if you want to drag the Democratic Party to the left. And uh, and so I shared out the story and I said, if you're represented by any of these four congressmen, uh, call their offices. Uh, but, but then I looked and realized I was the only person sharing out the story, and I and I asked us in a in an Eli moment of being cranky on Twitter, um, <laughs> what do you think the ratio of time that lefty sources spend on this story versus retweeting out more anti Biden hit pieces? Turns out so far that ratio is infinity because <laughs> yeah they're not covering the payday loan story. So huh. I I want you to think about that. I think this dovetails nicely with Eli's point. If you listen to, and I'm going to call them out specifically, Kyle Kalinske or the Young Turks, you had to learn about this story from us, from the twice monthly hmm. dick joke podcast, <laughs> instead of your daily source of news about the left. So maybe, just just maybe, they're not really about fighting for working people. Oh, yeah. Or maybe they mean to be, honestly, and they're just not very good at it. Maybe yeah. that's what it is. I think yeah. everybody I'm trying to talk to during this whole segment, we're on the same, like, good team philosophically. I think that's an important point to make. We, we agree with each other on what a lot of the goals are, but not how to get there. And I promise you, I have a better understanding of how to get there than you if you don't think you should vote for the Democrat in November. I promise you. And post bottom line, I said this last episode, but I'm going to repeat it again. Bernard Sanders agrees with me. So 
don't take my word for it. And uh, don't take Eli's word or Noah's word. And don't take Andrew's word. You know, just because he's super intelligent and knowledgeable and studied the stuff at the highest level with some of the best professors in the world. Ah, well, that stuff doesn't count. Take the word of the guy who's inspiring your protest vote. Or uh, maybe you know more about progressive politics than Bernie Sanders. Do ya? Do ya? If you do, you can ignore everything we just said. Don't ignore everything he just said. <laughs> Great. Yeah, even if you know more about progressive politics than Bernie Sanders, don't. No. And you don't. And on that note, we're going to close it out. Thanks to Andrew Torres. Thanks to Eli Bosnick. And thanks to all the listeners who liked us on Facebook, followed us on Twitter, and sent us feedback on the other various internets. Please keep doing that. Please keep listening. And please keep telling your friends. And if you find the naive stupidity of our giving away a free show business model to be oddly charming, please feel free to send us gifts of money at our donation page at patreon.com slash skeptocrat. Just like Matthew, Owen, other Matthew, Josh, Melanie, Mr. Steven, Jesse, Lurgnag, Aaron, Colton, Evan, Puns of Steel, and Lewis, whose dicks and vaginas are so beautiful. I just want to track one side one of Abbey Road with them. Wait, come together. Lurgnag? Lurgnag? Lurgnag. I like that. I'm assuming that's an acronym for something, right? Maybe. God, I hope so. <laughs> that or a Swede just angrily took out his AirPods and he was like, fuck you, Eli. <laughs> The Lurknecks came over on the Mayflower. <laughs> and whether or not you're feeling financially benevolent like those fine people, including Lurgnag, if you enjoyed our brand of whimsy and you'd like to hear more dick jokes free of charge, check out our brother and sister shows, The Scathing Atheist, God Awful Movies, D&D Minus, and Citation Needed, available on Apple Music, Stitcher, all those other podcast apps, or the deep web. We just have one last thing. Let's compliment that penis. Special thanks to Ryan Zlotnick of Evil Drafts on Mars. He is the creator of the virtuosic musical stylings you heard today, which were used with permission. You should definitely check him out using the links we provide or by Googling the only band called Evil Drafts on Mars. Until next time, catchphrase sign-off. Lurkneck for life! <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Slotnick, Evil Giraffes on Mars. <laughs> one, one guy. It sounds like he's saying Evil Giraffes on Mars with the music. It's great. <laughs> Hi, I'm Eli Bosnick. And I'm Andrew Torres. So, how's that novel going? I'm Heath Enright. Have you, no, it doesn't fit there. <laughs> you, if you want to put it up here, you can have it here above Andrew introducing him. Can we take it again, please? Yes, so I can, can fucking say my name. <laughs> I'm <Hi>. here. <laughs> nice and tight. All right, here we go. Like a dish. <laughs> I hate how much I know about that book. I, yeah. know, I, hate I know. So that all of us were like, ha, yeah. apt reference, Eli, <laughs> apt Reference, Book of Mormon. Uh, I do have Book of it. Mormon jokes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.